Can I first say that Anika told me, it's on a Tuesday, it's in San Francisco, nobody's going to come. <laughs> and this will never, ever happen again. I said, no, it'll be packed. This will never happen again. You were wrong, and I was right. <laughs> Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Shala Dean, and on behalf of Dr. Anika Rana, I'd like to welcome you to the launch of her debut novel, Wild, I almost forgot the name. Wild <laughs> Boar in the Cane Field. And also thank you all so very much for coming here today and joining us on this very, very special occasion. Um, like you all, I'm so honored and excited to be part of this wonderful evening. And of course, I read the book and I loved it. So I wanted to quickly just give you kind of some uh, a plan of what we're going to do. Um, after I finish speaking for a little bit, we're going to see a trailer um, for the book, and then um, Anika's <laughs> here, I feel like Vanna White, um, Anika's publisher, Brooke Warner of She Writes Press is also here, she will be speaking uh, shortly, and then we're going to meet the author, Anika, I'm going to ask her a few questions. Uh, which she's going to have to answer no matter what they are. <laughs> and then we're going to be treated to Anika reading some excerpts from her book. Um, and then we'll have some time to, for you to ask um, some questions. If I don't like them, I'm going to object to them. <laughs> and then we're going to end with a book signing, I think, next door. So get ready. Are you in your seats? You're ready? Let's get started. Um, I'd like to introduce... Evan of The Bindery, who's going to tell you a little bit about The Bindery and what we're going to see. Thanks. Thanks for that. Hi, everybody. Thanks again uh, for coming tonight. I just wanted to, uh, to actually get a raise of hands, if you don't mind, um, if, you have, if this is your first time in the space. Wow, almost everybody. <laughs> Welcome. <laughs> Amazing. Um, so nice of you guys to come, uh, to come by. This, the Bindery is a, um, a project of Booksmith which is uh, another independent bookstore across the street. But Booksmith is a legacy business. It's been here for, I think, 44 years now. Um, and uh, the Bindery just opened as the first expansion just three years ago. So um, we're all very happy with it. Um, between the Bindery and Booksmith, we host about 200 events um, per year. Um, you can check out um, our upcoming events at booksmith.com. Um, also, there's some, uh, some uh, a printouts by the register um, if you want to take one with you. Um, a couple things that I'm excited about that are coming up. Um, a week, no, it's gosh, it's closer. On Friday, we're hosting Salman Rushdie um, in, in um, Oakland with Andrew Sean Greer, and um, there's still tickets available for that. Um, if you're interested, just let me know. And also, we're hosting Naomi Klein um, next week, uh, also in Oakland. Um, this Sunday, uh, we're hosting Patina Gappa here in this room, um, So and that's at 4 o'clock. Um, what else should I say? Uh, restrooms are, uh, are through this door here, if you need one. Um, uh, doors number two or three are, are all yours. Um, Sydney's here at the bar. Uh, please treat her well, and she'll, she'll treat you well, even if you don't, I think, probably. But, <laughs> but uh, um, yeah, and, and you can get books uh, either um, in the front room or with Sydney. I think, I think we've sold out of the ones that are in this room for now, so, so grab one if you, if you need one. Um, and, and also, I think uh, if, if you do, if you purchase a book tonight, and you, there's a special tote bag. Um, uh, if you haven't gotten it, um, you can just get one after from me. A, a tote bag. A tote bag. Um, I think I think that's all for me. Um, uh, yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for having me up. So nice. Congratulations, Annika. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you.
a trailer for the book. Um, I'd like to now introduce Brooke Warner of She Writes Press, it's Anitha's publisher, to say a few words. Thank you. Uh, I'm a little tall, so I'm going to, can I raise this a tiny bit? Cool, thank you. Perfect. Or I can just hold this, actually. Oh, fabulous. Hi, everybody. Thank you so much. And uh, it's my great honor to be here today to say a couple words about the book and about Anika and also... I do want to acknowledge today is her actual publication day, <laughs> which is, yes, <laughs> the, the, the book is officially born today. Uh, I have the unique pleasure, actually, of being Anika's editor and publisher, and when we started working together, it's probably been well over two years, um, early on she would often say to me, you know, is this too dark? <laughs> is this too downbeat, uh, like the Kirkus Review actually called out, and I would find myself saying, yes and, I love it. You know, it's, it's okay to have dark stories, it's okay to tell real stories, and I had the privilege of going to Pakistan actually in uh, exactly 20 years ago, and I had never read a story that showcased so well some of the things that I had seen while I was there. I was actually there for five weeks with a friend who's Pakistani, and I found myself being so drawn into the story and so curious about Tara and the characters that Aniko was painting um, and, and the magical realism, which is another really compelling part of this story and um, not easy to do. <laughs> we talked about that quite a bit. Uh, you know, when you have a really creative, outside-of-the-box story, to keep coming at it and to keep wrestling with it until it really works and to be grappling with those questions of bringing it onto the page and wondering how your reader is going to experience it. And I just think it's an incredibly creative story, really unlike anything I've ever read. Um, and I was then incredibly proud and happy to be able to publish it on She Writes Press. Uh, the entire book is an experience, and so I hope for those of you who haven't uh, picked it up yet, you will. And 
I am grateful to be here, honored to be here actually, and just really congratulations to you and um, what a really supportive community. And I think it's so important that we come out and support debut authors, but all kinds of authors to celebrate their efforts. It's such a huge triumph to write and to publish a book. And so um, thank you, I'm, I'm humbled. Congratulations. <laughs> I'm not tall. <laughs> Dynamite comes in small packages. So I'd now like to introduce my longtime friend, almost sister, and debut author, Anika Rana. Let me tell you a little bit about Anika, things I can tell you about Anika. When she was eight, she moved to... When she was around eight, she moved... Uh, onto a farm in Pakistan, which was a new environment for her, and she gathered a lot of information from her time there. She's lived in California for some 30 years. Um, today she lives in Redwood City with her beautiful family, uh, husband Munim, and sons Nabil and Daniel, who I'm trying to find. Yeah. Where are you? Over there. <laughs> who I know have been incredibly supportive of her. Anika likes to travel, she loves to visit her family in Pakistan, in England, in Spain. She hasn't taken me yet, but one day she will. Uh, the rest of the time she reads, she cooks, as all of us know, she cooks really well, and enjoys mystical music and poetry. She does whatever she can to make herself grounded and happy. I'd like to know what that is. <laughs> Um, she has been a loyal and true friend to me and many of you for decades. It's getting all emotional here. Um, in addition to being a very good friend, Anika is also super smart, but she'll never brag about it, so I'm going to. <laughs> so Anika obtained a bachelor's and master's in English literature in Pakistan, a master's in English literature and composition from San Jose State, University and her doctorate in international and multicultural education from the University of San Francisco. She has been an educator for many years, including teaching at LUMS in Pakistan. She was a visiting lecturer at Stanford University, an adjunct professor at the University of San Francisco and the University of Santa Cruz, um, a professor of linguistics and dean of athletics. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Did I write that down right? Learning and, learning, and learning resource <laughs> library and learning. Okay, there was something with the athletics. At Kenyatta College, um, the Bay Area Network Coordinator for the State Chancellor's Office, and the Interim Dean of Academic Support and Learning Technologies, and the Interim Director Guided Pathways and Transitions at the College of San Mateo. Indeed, Anika has many, many accolades and achievements, too many that I can't mention here today, including that she was a finalist for the Mendocino Writers' Conference for the Shrine, for the shrine of St. Machiavala, that's a chapter from the, for the book, for the book uh, Wild Boar in the Cane Field. And why we're here tonight, she is the author of her debut novel, Wild Boar in the Cane Field. <laughs> so you saw the trailer and that kind of gave you a little, um, a little hint of what the book was about. I read it, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I felt when I was reading it 
that I was there. I could just kind of see what was happening. It was so vivid. Um, so I'm not going to say anything else about the book. You're going to have to buy it and read it. Maybe you can get it signed today. Um, but I did want to re uh, read two reviews. There were many, many reviews, but I wanted to read two just to show what the um, literature field is saying about Anika's book. The Kirkus Review said, Rana is a vivid writer with a talent for evocative metaphors. Rana does a fine job of capturing the emotions of the characters. The Pakistan Daily Times said, Rana has woven universal themes of identity, love, and freedom into the fabric of rural South Asia in a manner that makes the lives of her characters vivid and poignant. In this richly imagined landscape, she places characters whose actions shock and enthrall us twice over. Her use of evocative metaphors creates a world that is simultaneously intense and bleak. This debut novel is truly authentic, is truly an authentic depiction of the reality of rural Pakistan. That's pretty amazing reviews. So congratulations, Anika. We are so proud of you, and we're so honored to be here. Congratulations. <laughs> so I, I have some questions. As you told me. <laughs> but, I did, but I didn't tell you what. Did you change them on me? Yes. <laughs> okay. That's my prerogative. <laughs> yeah. um, so what made you write this book? So um, thank you all for being here. I mean, I, I am really honored. I have to say that. And my heart is full today. Um, and I'm not very emotional usually. So I won't show that much emotion. The only emotion I show is happiness. Um, so... Um, the reason I, you know, I was thinking about this question of why did I write this book? You know, you write a book and you, and then people ask you why, and you think, yeah, really, why did I do this? <laughs> so um, uh, my mother uh, lives in um, Longstanton near Cambridge, and she moved back from Pakistan. Uh, she lived in Pakistan for 50 years and then moved back to her home country. And my sister, who lives with her, said, Mommy, do you know Anika's book is coming out? And she, and, you know, she told her it's the, the title is Wild Boar in the Cane Field. And so Mommy goes, um, did she write about the walks that we used to take in the toward the cane field? And my sister goes, no, it's not about that. It's fiction. And so this is for Mommy. Um, I did not write about those walks in the cane field, but I want to tell you about those walks. Um, when I was eight and living in Pakistan for the years that I lived there on, in this, on this farm in the village, um, every evening we would have our five o'clock tea and then uh, the women and the children who tend to have a lot more fun than the men um, would go to the cane fields. We'd go for a walk in the evening to the cane fields. And uh, we would take with us um, a metal bucket, a very uncool looking and probably cleaned, I don't know, bucket. And we would walk toward the cane fields and on the way um, we would hear some rustling in those fields and there was always this thing of, are there boar in those fields or what's going on there? And generally there are boar in the cane fields but we never ever got to see one. But one experience which I think is unique for anyone who has lived in the village, which I know those of you who have had cane in cities have had them peeled and diced for you, 
but people like Alia and Shazia know exactly what I'm talking about. You stand at the corner of the cane field and you say to, to someone who's got a machete, I think I want that one. And they will cut that cane and then you use your teeth to peel the cane and bite on it and chew on it and it tastes really good. Uh, so this was part of our walk. But the bucket was with us because when we got to the cane field, they'd usually be uh, they'd be making uh, sugar out of the cane, and then they would make toffee out of that sugar. So on our way back, we would have a bucket full of toffee with those um, with the cane sugar, and so that was the story that Mummy wanted me to write about. So I'm telling you about that story now. <laughs> And I, I can't imagine that having that experience, why would I not write a book with the title Wild Boar in the Cane Field? Uh, so the title comes from that experience, but the book is all fiction. I, there are no pleasant walks in the cane field, unfortunately. So that's the answer to that. <laughs> Thank you. So your book has blended very well, good, bad, very dark. Why did you do that and how did you do that? Well, I wanted to make the story real and I, I have, as, as well as all these what I call sisters lives, you know, here with me, I have three sisters who I grew up with and we're constantly sharing experiences that we have experienced and, um, and our stories, the story, you know, my elder sister will have one version of it and the, and the middle sister will have a different one and I will ma have a made up version of it because I wasn't either aware of what was going on. <laughs> and so um, what I wanted to do in this story is keep the stories as real as possible so that anyone who has or has not been to that part of the world can experience lives that are not usually written about. And the story of Tara, uh, this young child who is, is found on a train, and Safiya, the lady who takes her in, and Bhagan, Safiya's servant, and um, Bhagan's three sons, um, Taj and Sultan and Malik, they all live lives that we really never see in any form of media. And, and I feel 60% and of South Asian population lives in villages. And very rarely do we see the lives of those people and what the realities are like. And so even though some of the scenes are heart-wrenching, there are moments of tenderness, there are moments of, of connection that I wanted to depict. So uh, you know, I, as you know, Brooke mentioned, uh, even though it was so dark, it's so real. And I didn't want to whitewash it. I didn't want to change things and make pretend that they were any different. But I really wanted to focus on the perseverance of these people in this story, that whatever is dealt to them, they will respond to it and they will find their way. And, and I keep returning to Pakistan and to the village and to the people that have inspired me to write this story. And usually nobody's really asking for any sympathy. It's more of an empathy about lives that they're living. And that was what I wanted to show. So. I love the cover on the book. How did you how did you pick that? That's just my curious question. Well, that, thanks to she writes. I mean, that was a um, we had I think about twelve or fifteen. There was a quite and 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 some of you I emailed and said these are all the choices. <laughs> Tell me what what speaks to you the most. And you know, one was a picture of you. Know, it may have even been at a girls' night out one evening. It might have been that too, <laughs> with a few drinks, maybe. I don't know. I don't drink. <laughs> 
but she doesn't need to. <laughs> um, so yeah, so this was this spoke to me because it's got this combination, and it spoke to others. As you know, those of you who know me, I, I always have to get an affirmation from others. So so I did check in with everyone. What do you think? Which text? Which picture? And you know, even people in Pakistan said, choose this one. So. I've got a good group of friends, so that's why I have a good cover. <laughs> so is there going to be a follow-up novel? So, um, yeah, I am planning another novel, um, and it is somewhat similar. It's also based in Pakistan. Uh, the characters are different, and, the, and I started this with a title, and I've already thought of the title. The title is um, A Sanctuary for Dancing Bears, and it's based on an actual sanctuary for dancing bears because of the legal uh, recent legislation in Pakistan against bear baiting and, and dancing bears. The story itself revolves around this uh, space which um, has a history of violence but has a space for peace. So, yeah, yes, awesome. definitely. So, I was going to ask if your next novel will be on your friend Shallow, but... Uh, no. Do you really want me to... I'm going to be a heroine. Okay, After yeah, the downbeat plot. Now we have the pleasure of hearing Anika read three excerpts from her novel. Can you tell us a little bit about what you're going to read, why you chose it? Okay, thank you. So um, I've been thinking about this day, as you can imagine, for months maybe since the last year, okay? So what is it that I want you to take away from this? I would like to introduce some of these characters um, and show you a bit of the space that they're living in. And so my, the first piece I'm going to read is um, Dara is sitting with Maria, um, her childhood friend, and they, they're making um, a garland out of jasmine or the, the local name is jambeli okay so they're making this this garland and you get to see through tara's eyes the surroundings and the house that she is living in and you also get to hear her response or her perspective on the woman safia who has taken her in okay if i can find the place uh, yeah, that's much better. It's my day job. <laughs> so the Chameli bushes were at the entrance to Bibi Safia's house. The latch on the wooden door left a gap large enough for the cat to climb through. The gap defied any promise of privacy to the two-step entrance, encouraging secrets to leak in and out of the home. I looked up briefly past Maria's short scruffy hair and the summer dawn view from the entrance displayed the village's ten mud huts huddled closely to the left. To the right, expansive fields stretched to the horizon. Maria and I sat at the entrance of Bibi Safia's mud-covered opulence of many rooms that could have accommodated all the village families. The wooden windows and doors hung loosely in disrespair, like their decaying, formidable owner. Each room seemed isolated yet connected to the next with multiple doors and windows. 
half-hearted printed cambric curtains partially obscured the view to each adjoining room authorizing eavesdropping. The austere sequence of these rooms demonstrated for me the authority in Safiya's own life as well as her ability to control the lives of others. At unequal distances on the whitewashed walls of each room, a few unsmiling family portraits were testimony to her lineage and power. In her bedroom, her parents' marriage photograph hung at a slight angle. I dusted it each morning, leaving it at that angle as I gazed at the young groom, Bibi Safiya's father, who stared back at me, one hand pulling back strands of marigolds from his brow. His wife, Safiya's mother, sat next to him, leaving enough space between them for a third person who must have forgotten to join them. Her head was bowed low, a dubatta layered with a chadar covering it, pulling it down, restricting her from making eye contact with the photographer. Whatever I could see of Safiya's mother was weak, unlike Safiya. That's probably why she died when Safiya had just started to walk. Amma Bhaga, only a few years older than Safiya, was brought in to care for her. She must have hated that, but I admired her for doing what was expected. I know I would never sacrifice myself for anyone. And then we move on um, to learn a bit more about Amma Bhaga. And uh, Bhaga means fate or fortune, and it usually indicates good fate or fortune. But many of us know uh, an Amma Bhaga. Amma means mother, and Bhaga is, is the name. Um, and so here's a bit about Amma Bhaga and her life with her husband. And she's sitting, Tara is uh, combing Amma Bhaga's hair um, and trying to relax her because something has happened in the kitchen. My combing had relaxed her. The twist in the story reflected her mood. I had a, so that's Amma Bhaga talking. I had a thick braid and small feet, and that's why Sultan's father married me. He didn't see me before we were married, but when his mother came to see me from the village close by, it didn't take her long to convince him that I was the catch of our village. I'd heard this story, like all the others, about her like eyes, how her future mother-in-law thought they might be a bad omen. But when her husband-to-be looked into them on the day they were married, he said they were the color of Himalayan acacia honey. He said I had trapped him, Pagan recounted, her eyes still shut, as if I needed to calm, as if she needed to calm herself. Little did I know that his entrapment would be for such a short time. A rasp of sorrow caught at her voice. My husband would serenade me at night, singing, O lover with light eyes, I will stay with you forever. Bhagan sat quietly with her eyes closed, but the romance she memorialized was short-lived. She didn't have to repeat what had happened next. I kept combing her hair. He didn't stay with her forever. Forever for him was two years. The day he left, never to return, Amma Bhagan placed two rotis covered with desi ghee in a red cotton cloth along with a piece of his favorite gum berry pickle for him to eat in the fields. But this is where her love story took a horrendous turn. Tears welled up every time she told us about it. She took the corner of her dubatta and wiped her face. I waited for him that night, 
Three days later, they brought back his body bloated by the canal waters. It had been caught in the reeds and scared the women washing their clothes. They scream reached the village and Lal Muhammad, the snake charmer, came to see what had happened. Lal saw the snake wound around my man's hand and went immediately to the canal's edge to urge it out of hiding. But as if it knew what was in store for it, the snake remained hidden. So Bhaga and her mother-in-law both wailed over his body. They tore their dubattas off their heads and screamed to the heavens to avenge their sorrow, one for a young son and the other for her lover. Bhaga broke her glass bangles and began her iddah, the required days of seclusion after her husband's death to ensure she was not pregnant. And so now we're moving to Tara. Tara, and this section I'm calling the proposal, it's a section of um, the chapter. Um, Tara is sitting with Malik, um, who is the youngest son of Bhaga. And Tara's in a quandary and she doesn't know how to get out of the, the space that she's in. And Malik is the youngest son who cares for the buffalo and he's on the spectrum. Okay, so. So we'll see how he responds to that, even though it's not diagnosed for him, and how he helps her out of the quandary. I heard a bus in the distance, and then closer, probably near the village, a dog whined, as if something or someone had hit it. Sultan would have made a good husband, Malik continued, in the same monotonous tone while he puffed on his cigarette. Sometimes, when I stay guarding the buffalo at night, or when I sit in that room in the middle of the cane fields, I think of him and think of our father. He was a good husband too. That's what Amma thinks. But he died before I was born. That means I didn't really have a father. He puffed some more on the cigarette until he reached the butt, and then he sucked on it taking in the magic that gave him strength to vocalize his thoughts. This was the first time I had heard him lead a conversation, and I wonder what had encouraged him. Then, as if the power of the cigarette needed to be bolstered, he dug into his pocket and pulled out a beady, wrapped in dried leaves. This, he said, is better, as he lit it, sucked on it, and handed it to me. I took a puff, not knowing how it would affect me, but by now I didn't care. Malik took the beady back and continued smoking it, pausing briefly to add, so you don't have a mother and I don't have a father. Maybe I should marry you. <laughs> the moon had risen higher in the sky and shone directly on his face. Or maybe it, he had moved, or maybe I had moved. I wasn't clear what was happening. Was it only that afternoon that the Malvi had come to finalize my marriage plans, when I had decided to take my fate into my own hands, but it still evaded me, and now Malik was giving me a way out? I could escape the destiny that others had chosen for me. I could create my own. We sat in silence until the beauty was finished. Something shuffled beneath the chameli bush. The white buds would blossom the next morning. Through the haze and darkness, they looked like flies in white funeral shrouds. I was back in that morning, 
the morning of the Chameli garland, of the snake scare, of the pretend wedding, of the violent death of Sultan. The smoke and the fumes built up bile in my mouth. I didn't know where to turn, so I threw up. The potatoes and roti that Maria had shared with me were now all over the Chameli bush. Thank you. That was awesome. So, do any of you have any questions for Anika? So? I do have a question. Thank you for uh, letting us into the conversation as well. So, you know, my highest regards to you, Anika, for having the patience to write all of this, and to your editor and publisher, who perhaps patiently went through and critiqued. Made sense of it, yes. <laughs> and, uh, although those roles are kind of theoretical for me, but I've never written anything. Warren. Mm -hmm. And uh, <laughs> like my learned friend here says, my question is outside of your, your writing. Mm -hmm. My friend Monem. Yes. Your your ugly half. <laughs> My very dear half of thirty years. Inspired you and and, and being patient at times. Uh, how did he motivate you to embark on this journey and to end it? He he's always been a supporting sounding board, and sometimes he listens to those sounds and sometimes he doesn't. <laughs> Uh, but I think anything I've ever done, he's, he's always been there with me to kind of support what I'm doing and, and giving me ideas, sometimes, you know, unsolicited ideas and that kind of, you can imagine how that goes. But <laughs> Yes, Hassan. Um, firstly, thank you for sharing your experience. It was really nice to hear. Um, I was wondering if you could maybe talk a little bit about the process of Building the characters, given that although they come from the same place or region, um, they seem to have very different backgrounds and upbringings. Um, so, were there any characters that were more difficult for you to write about, or um, what kind of research went into building these characters? So, um, one that is, and if any of you have this need to create or affiliate yourself with God in some way this is your opportunity. You're creating a world and you're creating people. So it was a very pleasant experience, but the challenge, uh, and I, I took many classes, I got a lot of feedback from Brooke of why is this person doing that? And why is another person, you know, what they're responding in whatever way. Um, the, I can't think of any character that was particularly different, difficult. My challenge was, how to make sure that my characters were all unique and were not Anika in disguise. <laughs> and so that was something, uh, and particularly when you're writing in a, lang in a language which is not the language, uh, so, so I'll have phrases in here which are familiar to people like Ulukapata, you know, uh, daughter, son of a, uh, an owl, you know, but it sounds amusing when you say it in, you know, so, um, how do you use that terminology to, to demonstrate the personality without making it awkward? And so those were, my ch those were probably more of my challenge of how do I 
make the person say or act in a way that sounds authentic um, to the culture that I am writing about and it's not and here's what I, I wanted to be very careful that it was respectful of the lives of the people that I'm writing about and not a caricature of their lives um, as you translate it into another language yes so, uh, thank you for inviting us do you plan to translate this into Urdu for Pakistan I have not thought of it yet. This is the first step I've taken, so I'm, I'm not sure. I, I'll see what the interest is like. There's a few people who live in Pakistan. There are many people, yes. <laughs> 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 Definitely. Yes, Lisa? I, I was wondering how you bridge that. I mean, because you just alluded to the fact that the people you're writing about are not necessarily like yourself. Mm -hmm. like I was very aware of that. I was very aware, um, and and of course, as you're writing it, the words that I chose, you know, I'd say, would would Tara use this particular language or not? I was very very aware of it, but I did try, however, I could to dig deep into the human element of regardless of what social sta status you're at, that whatever conflict you're facing, that feeling that's inside you, regardless of your outward uh, surroundings or the, the people that you're with, that whatever that, that feeling that comes from within, I was trying to be true to that. Uh, and also um, kind of thinking what the nuance of each character is I, I didn't want anyone to be an extreme villain. I didn't want anyone to be an you know a victim. And so I wanted strengths to come out and I wanted the characters to be as whole as possible. So as I was telling the story, I was trying to create situations, um, and this is kind of the teacher in us, I was trying to create the situations where I could demonstrate the, the personalities that I wanted to show or the nuance that I wanted to show in them. Um, generally, the feedback I've gotten is is about how depressing it is, and also how, <laughs> and also how uh, there are some tender moments, which I, I really made an effort to make sure that I could show the tenderness of life, as harsh as it might be. Uh, I've got I've had some local feedback from folk in Pakistan, and they've said, oh, you know, I can just imagine, you know, the kitchen being this way, an outdoor kitchen with a cow dung uh, patties being used for um, making, you know, the fire, or using ashes and um, straw to wash dishes, and so all of those small pieces, which were very much a part of my life, and kind of I observed and participated, and I wasn't. When I was living there, it wasn't as if I was living a, a different life. I was participating in all of the. I picked cotton with with the farm workers. I, I you know made the dough the way you know with. I, I sat with all the people doing what they were doing, and so that level of camaraderie happens. And and I I know those of you who have lived your life in a farm or a village. They really, you have to uh, mesh with the people that are around. You can't, you cannot separate yourself because it just doesn't work. Because one, there's so limited people there that you have to connect with the people that you're with. <laughs> so I hope that answers. Yes, Shafi. So I have a question. Uh, thank you for sharing. Mm -hmm. um, how did 
So, um, Tara means star, Stella is another character that also means star and so I needed a character who didn't have too many restrictions and so as in family restrictions. So this was, I needed, I wanted an individual that even though she's surrounded by people who are either mother-like or sister-like or brother-like, but they weren't really that traditional and this is a, a person who is in their own world and in, in, the, in their own mind. And so I, re I, I can't answer why Tara and not somebody else. Why did Maria, who is the sister of Stella, why didn't she become the main character because potentially she could have. But I liked, um, I liked Tara's... Um, her attitude in life. She wasn't going to be a victim. And um, and when I was writing, particularly when I got to that tail end of, of writing, kind of really focusing on refining the characters and thinking through them, um, I would be sitting early in the morning writing about these characters. And um, it's a very nice way to isolate yourself from the world around you and you just think, why is this person doing this? And, and so for me, Tara was the one who would do all the things that I wanted to demonstrate and be the person in the middle of the story to demonstrate how other people are not necessarily victims, but she kind of comes across as a stronger person from those around her. So that's a roundabout saying, way of saying, I really don't know how I came <laughs> up with Tara. <laughs> I haven't read the book yet, yes. but from your trailer and from the back of the book, uh, we already know that the main character is going to die. Yes. Um, so there's, I, there's no, yeah. There's, there's no mm -hmm. suspense in that sense. Mm -hmm. And generally when authors write, they, they, it's an open-ended thing. Why did you decide to share the end before we even started the book? Because something happens after that which I think demonstrates and that the last section of the book is written from the perspective of the flies that have been around uh, Tara all her life. And so I, I wanted to bring that element in that even though the death itself is a tragic event, it is inevitable that we will all die and I wanted the story to go past the death. So it, it's... So it's not the end. Yes. So, so it's with this idea of it's generational. Yes, Jen. One, I'm glad the flies came. Yes. I have them. Yes. And I wanted to know: is there really a shrine, or did you make that? Part it's all fiction. <laughs> there, there's a shrine for dogs. Uh, there, there are many shrines in Pakistan. There's a shrine for alligators in Sindh. I, I know Lubna kind of confirmed that, and she's actually been to it. Um, so there are shrines, and this is kind of the, the mystic belief system that was a cross of religions and, and all of the different cultures. So there's no shrine of life. I just so the one I like the concept because if you've ever been to Pakistan, there are flies everywhere. Uh, so kind of the all-knowing, all-seeing, all and the way as, uh, the, the eye of the fly has a multi-perspective, so I wanted that to happen. And then the life continues, and the life has a short life, and, it, and then, then it, you know, and then another, life, another fly is born. So that was why I wanted to use that. Yes, Jenny, on a, on a funny note, yes, because <laughs> I can so see the I'm smile. Yes. I was 
and a fly came on my arm. <laughs> 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 I you know, normally you just do it. Maybe you should let it sit. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> yes, Corinne. I want to say it was, but I work really hard at creating them. So I don't know. I, I, mean, I haven't thought deeply enough about this, but as what I said earlier about that feeling of you're creating something, uh, it, you've got things in your control and you think this is what's going to happen because, you know, what's the underlying reason of their motivation? I'm, I'm not ready to say, yes, they spoke to me. Um, Maybe in the next novel they will. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yes, Milam. When you talk about uh, creating a character and uh, you know making it sort of uh, it's difficult to detach yourself mm -hmm. and create a character that is not Anika, mm -hmm. is it like possible to create, especially the heroine, the main character, mm -hmm. and not put in the qualities that you admire and there's probably a bit of me in all the characters and and you will tell me <laughs> when you read the book you will say the Malvi Anika is like you <laughs> but but on a more serious note when when I was whether it was the Malvi or the sons of, of Bhaga you know whether it's a gender or a class or a you know language or you know whatever perspective I, I wanted to be very true to, I, I wanted to have the sincerity about each of the characters, whether it's Isaac who is um, the gardener and he's a minor character, but I wanted to know more about Isaac and whether it's Stella and, uh, not Stella, Stella's mother um, and you know the trauma that she goes through with childbirth and, and how she ends up living her life. Uh, or whether it's the growth of Maria uh, as a young child who's very close to um, Tara, and then as she gets older and starts working at the hospital, you know, I, I wanted each character to have a life of their own. And so I really enjoyed getting into those characters and trying to think why they were doing what they were doing. Um, can you talk about your writing process? Like, did you write in the morning, and for how long did you write every day? And also, did you ever feel like giving up? Uh, so, before I met Brooke, because Brooke was really helpful in keeping me going, um, I was taking classes, I was doing all kinds of things. I started with nonfiction. I didn't know what I really wanted to do. I knew I wanted to write, but I didn't know what I wanted to write. And so, my memory is for four years ago, at Kenyatta College, sitting in, I forget the room number, but by, behind the Learning Center, uh, I remember talking to Rosa Sarah and saying, this is, this is the story I'm writing. And uh, so once I had decided I wanted to write that story, and every time I'd go to the Mendocino Writers' Conference or to the Grotto or any of these places, I see, as, as teachers, we tend to seek classrooms. <laughs> so that's what I, I looked out for, you know, where can I learn the craft of writing? Um, and then after you know, receiving feedback, for example, writing from the perspective of flies, 
um, I got mixed feedback on that. Do you really want to do that? You know, do you want to talk about dung? And I thought, dung is so much a part of Pakistani culture in the village. <laughs> and of course, I mean, it's you, uh, you, the stoves are covered with it, and then you use it for burning, and you use it for, you know, it's, it's all over. Why would I not mention it? Um, so going back to the process of writing, I had very scattered thoughts to start off for the first few years. And then as I got close, I thought, OK, made my outline and this is happening so this is something I would love to share with you even though it hasn't been asked um, <laughs> but I am very pleased with this um, uh, there, there are five prayer times in Islam and um, I wanted to bring in some of that cultural aspect and I, I the struggle was how to organize the chapters how to organize the scenes and so this is how I organized, and this helped me make the outline of my um, book. Before sunrise is the time of Fajr, so that's the first section of the book. Time of necessity is the time of Zohar, so that's kind of way in the middle of the, the book. Six miles left, Asr, so before the sun sets. 12 degrees below the horizon, the time of Maghrib. And the th red thread disappears, is Isha time. So I, I had then decided these are the times of day that I'm thinking about. And then within that, I will try and work the plot so that, that th those five times are integral to the story. So that helped me build the story. But the last piece, I think, you know, I, I can't thank Brooke enough where, you know, I had a deadline. I had to send her stuff. She would give me feedback and she said, really this? Are you sure you don't want to go deeper or why? So having that last how many, two years or how many ever years that we worked together, that really helped me focus and have an audience that wasn't so broad that my thoughts would be scattered. So, so that was part of the process. Yes, Sean. Uh, how do you come up with the names of the characters? Uh, yes, so the names, part of the name, Bhagam was, you know, I had to have Bhagam. There was no doubt that Bhagai is a name that has to be in a book like this. Okay? <laughs> if you grow up in Pakistan, you know that that's the name that goes in here. Uh, the other, some of the other names, Tara and Stella, the stars, okay, so that they're reaching for something. And I needed you know, that, that concept of stars. Um, some of the other names I thought, okay, um, how do we name uh, kids in Pakistan and what, what, what are the names we give and I also wanted to have names that would be easy to pronounce and remember so I went back and forth with the names and there was a time when I got confused with the names that I had given my character and Brooke would say is it this person or that person I don't remember which what name I gave that person so there were some names I knew they had to be those names others I thought okay I need to make it convenient for my reader to understand who is what now of course Sultan a king Taj you know, and then Malik. So it's kind of Hi. crown. I, I'm pointing at my head. You know, you know, Jenny. <laughs> Taj is a crown, and, and Malik is the owner. An owner of. It's kind of. They all have some. Say that again. Landowner. Yeah. Or any owner. Malik is owner of anything. But it's. They all have. Sometimes they will have some relation to religion, but other times it's just meanings that. Um, should, yes. Yeah, uh, the way that you paint the picture of the character and what is happening, it was beautiful. Thank you. Mm -hmm. And 
I uh, maybe I misunderstood. What I understood is that uh, you lived in the village until eight. Is that right? No, I I went to the the live in the village. I had gone to the village. It was a family farm, and we had oh, gone. So you have experience. I I knew yeah. about it, so it wasn't that unique. But actually living there for eight years, that is an experience that I wanted to write oh, about. So you had experience, I, I actually, the village experience. I lived yeah. it, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. And then the characters, uh, were you inspired by uh, some people, the actual living characters there also, that you knew their stories? And or I think you always are inspired by people around you. Um, none of, the, all of these characters are, are pure fiction. Um, but like uh, pieces of the information, yes, so it is from your experiences, the experiences you have seen, exactly. you make the character out of those experiences. Yes, yes, and, and so to keep them authentic, they would have to be people who would have been able to live in that environment, um, so yes. So of course, yes, I agree with you that there is an impact. You were uh, my question was also that in your life you were inspired from different people that you picked their qualities and stuff. Uh, exactly, yeah. I, I definitely have. There are some moments where people go, oh, you put that in there? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I did. <laughs> <laughs> Any other questions? One more? So I'm just fascinated by the whole creative process. How many hours a day would you set aside to sit and write? Or did it all come to you in one you know, big moment and you spent all day writing? Or wasn't there a discipline, you know, like three to six? I'm just gonna I wasn't as disciplined as I would like to be. <laughs> but we never are, are we? And so I, there were, was a time when, when I was getting closer to the end, I thought, oh, I'm nearly done, I'm nearly done. Uh, but, but like... Many of us, I would sit sharpening pencils, finding a place to sit, you know, <laughs> making sure that I have my little space, my desk, my, my and I procrastinate by reading about writing. <laughs> so, uh, and I love doing that, you know, I think I have to read about it before I can actually do it. Uh, but I, nearer the end, I was a bit more, and having a deadline and someone that I had to send stuff to made it much easier to actually write something. Jenny and Lonnie. Um, the magical realism was mentioned a little bit, and what I was really struck by is how you have worked it into the story so well that you know you aren't kind of like hit in the face with this. Oh, this this is magical realism. It's mm -hmm. just it, you get so sucked into the story that it doesn't seem like magical realism. It just seems to be part of the story. So thank you for mentioning that, but, but I would also like to kind of remind all of us that sometimes the magic in the stories we tell, and depending on who's telling it, um, there's, there's something where you think, oh, that happened this way, and you think, did it really happen that way, or did it happen the way that somebody else said? So I feel, so, and so thank you for kind of acknowledging that it worked, so that's good. <laughs> Uh, but I feel that there's also a lot of that in, in, in life in general, as we always talk about. <laughs> Lani? Yeah, I just wanted to get a feel as to, I can imagine how challenging it, it may have been in the beginning just to start the book. And then as you realize that you have a deadline, did you want to give the end equal amount of time? There's nothing to write. I mean, what, because the end is just as important as the beginning. 
I actually started with a, a scene that was supposed to be the beginning, but then it ended up being somewhere at the end. So um, I, I was all over the place as far as the story was concerned. There were scenes that I thought, I need this scene in there. And then how does that work? Uh, but once I had got a general outline of how it would go, um, the, it was a, I was able to work with it. I can't wait to read it. Um, That's great news. <laughs> <laughs> Did you ever think about, uh, since you spent a good amount of time in that uh, mm -hmm. village, did you ever think about writing it in Urdu or Punjabi and then translating it into Urdu? I wish my Urdu or Punjabi skills were that strong. They're not. Um, I never learned Punjabi in school. It was whatever Punjabi we picked up, we picked up at home. Uh, as all of you know, that's a problem in Pakistan. We don't teach our local languages in school. You, you learn Urdu. I know Urdu enough to be able to study Iqbal and Ghalib and all of that, but not to be creative. And in fact, that's what I realized uh, having taught English composition for many years at, uh, I forgot to remind you that I'm now faculty professor at CSM in all of the things that I'm doing. Sorry. <laughs> uh, that's all right. But uh, being a, a teacher of academic writing, learning how to write creatively was like learning a new language because there's no thesis statement, there are no topic sentences, there's you know, all of those things that become second nature. So even writing creatively in English has been a challenge for me. And I would imagine I, I should aspire to write in Urdu and then maybe Punjabi. I, I don't think my skills would be strong enough in Punjabi, but it's worth mentioning. Uh, if a book club forced for this book, yes. would you Come to of the course, meeting. of course I would come. <laughs> I, you, I, if you're in the Bay Area, and even if you're not. Our book club usually reads it's a lot of converts, and they have like tried to understand Islam and stuff. Yes. So I'm not sure that I, it will get voted, but in case it does, I, that's one thing. They want the author to come. So I will definitely come. Thank you. Well, thank you very much. Let's congratulate <laughs> Thank you again. This has been such a special night for me. I am so pleased to have so many friends and family members. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, my request to you is um, just just get someone to read the story. So whether it's in the library or other places, um, I think we sometimes get distracted with so many other things and I feel really strongly about this story of Tara. So I hope you get to read it, discuss it, and kind of know a bit more about lives that we don't otherwise see. So thank you so much. Thank you.